Chris. Welcome to Speak and Destroy, episode 98. Speak and Destroy is the first podcast to feature interviews about Metallica, and I am your host, Ryan J. Downey. My guest this episode is our first two-time returning champion, making his third appearance on the Speak and Destroy podcast, my good friend, Mr. Doc Coyle, guitarist for Bad Wolves, the band responsible for radio hits like Sober, and of course their cover of the Cranberries Zombie, their platinum cover of the Cranberries Zombie, and prior to that, the guitarist in the band God Forbid. Now this is an extremely unique episode of Speak and Destroy. I'm debating even as I'm recording this intro about whether to put it up as a bonus, whether to make it a Patreon episode. Uh, I'm going to go with just putting it out as a traditional episode, but I want to set the scene a little bit and let you guys know uh, what the deal is. So with this episode in particular, so going back to the start of the pandemic, as everyone was pivoting and trying to figure out uh, what to do in the music business. One great thing, which had been sort of in the works for a while that they pulled the trigger on, uh, is over at Knotfest, the festival run by uh, not only Slipknot, run and curated by Slipknot, but by their management team, who also handle bands like Lamb of God and Megadeth, Trivium, Amana Marth, King Diamond, big broster over there, and good friends, good friends of mine for uh, many years. They decided to take the existing Knotfest brand, that would be the YouTube channel, all the different social media assets, and turn it into not just something that promotes the festivals whenever they returned, which they are now back on the schedule, but became an overall destination for heavy culture. Uh, and that's mostly music, of course, but also film and TV and MMA and anything that could kind of fall into that umbrella. So they were wonderful enough to invite me to be part of that process early on. I've launched a number of different things with them on the YouTube channel. I do a show called The Disc Dive, where I get with an artist and we talk about every single record in their discography from every single band that they have been in. I've done episodes with Miles Kennedy going through his whole catalog with Alter Bridge, his solo albums, the records with Slash, and a couple of bands that he had going beforehand. Caleb Shomo from Beartooth. Spencer Chamberlain from Under Oath, Andy Beersack from Black Veil Brides, a lot of fun, a lot of great episodes. Uh, I've done some other stuff with them in the world of film and TV uh, with a YouTube show called Screen Crusades. Uh, that is primarily interviewing filmmakers, actors, and that sort of thing. Now, more recently, NotFest has gotten into the Twitch streaming game. Over at twitch.tv slash notfestofficial, there are a number of shows, like a TV network, constant programming, like, you know, every day <laughs> through the week for hours at a time. There's uh, NotFest Daily, which is hosted by Alicia Atute. I host a show of my own called Screen Crusades, like the YouTube series. That's every Tuesday from 2 to 4 p.m. Pacific time. And it's a couple hours where I talk about movie trailers, movie news. I do deep dives into you know, topics like the intersection of heavy metal and movies. And I've had guests on there. Uh, a number of guests come on and talk about their favorite movies, their favorite film tr franchises. Last week, on a day that happened to be the birthday of both Glenn Danzig and Demon Hunter vocalist Ryan Clark, Miss Etoot, who hosts Knotfest Daily, was out sick. It also happened to be a Wednesday, which on Wednesdays, her and I host a show together called Trivia Legends. I didn't name it. But I am, you know, it's kind of a win Ben Stein's money, if you remember that show. 
I'm the Ben Stein in the scenario where guests uh, come on and try to best me at heavy metal music and culture trivia. So it was suggested to me that we do a Speak and Destroy takeover of the NotFest Twitch channel. So I pulled that together very quickly. I reached out to Doc, who of course has been on Speak and Destroy the podcast twice. Asked him if he would be into coming and hanging with me for a little bit. He was down, he was available, and he came. And it was also serendipitous because of course last week there was a huge amount of Metallica news unleashed upon the world in the form of the Black Album box set which those of us who were paying attention probably knew that there was going to be some sort of box set this year commemorating the Black Album. Well, here it is. It is the Kitchen Sink box set, even more so than the ones that have come out for the prior albums. I mean, and a lot of that, I think, is due to the fact that there is, and I said this way back when the Kill Em All box came out, as we go further and further into their history, you know, the further along we get, the more recent years, the more amount of material that there simply is. But not only does the box set have all this amazing stuff in it, they also announced 50-plus artists covering the songs from the Black Album, and for charity. Uh, not only the All Within My Hands Charity Foundation, but also, you know, I think the other half, each individual artist picks uh, the charity of their choice. And it's just astounding. I mean, you know, Miley Cyrus, Elton John, the eclectic nature of the lineup, it's just mind-blowing. So, the Speak and Destroy NotFest Twitch Takeover was a three-hour block during which I played a lot of music videos, a lot of stuff that I have up in playlists on the Speak and Destroy YouTube channel, which you can check out. Doc came on for, mm, I don't know, a good 40 minutes of that. Uh, at some point, we ran into a technical difficulty. Uh, we lost him, and he was already generous enough with his time. So what you're about to hear as this Speak and Destroy episode is I've taken that three-hour block, and I've edited it down to about an hour of talk where you will hear me talking about the black album the box set about speaking destroy in general and then doc comes on and we talk about metallica of course but we also talk about cover songs in general metallica's relationship to cover songs doc's own relationship to cover songs as someone with a platinum plaque for a cover song in recent years and as someone who is part of the wedding band the group that kirk hammett and rob trujillo do where they play a bunch of covers Doc is a guitar player in that group, which, speaking of story listeners, will probably remember from his last appearance on the show. We also talk a lot about movies. We talk about movie posters. We talk about Twitch in general. So, I give you all this backstory just to let you know that this is a this is a bit of a wild card in the Speaking of Story catalog. It's not exactly like the traditional Speaking of Story episodes that you are accustomed to listening to, but I do think it's interesting and it's fun. I love Doc. We have a good time together. And, you know, it also kind of harkens back to what a lot of podcasts originally were, certainly in this intro and in the uh, first, you know, 15 minutes or so of what you're about to listen to, which is just like one person talking and kind of pontificating about uh, whatever the given topic is. In this case, the topic being the Speaking Destroy takeover of the NotFest Twitch channel and all of this Black Album news, as well as Glenn Danzig's birthday. So, with all of that in mind, if you're still listening, if you're still sticking around, if you want to hear Doc and I shooting the breeze, please keep going. And if you haven't yet, please leave a five-star rating and a nice little review in Apple Podcasts for Speaking Destroy. It really, really does help. You can also support the show on Patreon, where you get access to bonus episodes called from my interview archives over the years, which includes guests like the aforementioned Glenn Danzig. Randy Blythe from Lamb of God, and the mighty, mighty, the Ripper himself, Mr. Kirk Von Hammett. One other thing I wanted to mention while I've got your ear, 
I would imagine most of you who listen to this podcast are a fan of and or familiar with Rob Flynn of the group Machine Head. Well, Rob, who was one of the first guests on Speak and Destroy uh, way back almost 100 episodes ago now, was kind enough to invite me onto his podcast, No Effin' Regrets, which you can find via the Gas Digital Network anywhere that you get your podcasts. Uh, dig back a couple episodes ago and you will find his episode with me. Uh, we spoke for like three hours. He put it all up. It's great. Um, he, uh, he asked me a lot of questions um, and we talked about a great number of things. Kind of bringing us full circle here. A few days after he posted that episode, I was watching his Twitch stream where he does these machine head happy hours where, uh, you know, they play machine head songs and they do cover songs again, bringing us full circle. Rob noticed that I was in the chat and he said, Hey, Ryan J. Downey's here. What, we should play something for Ryan. What, what, what do we play? Well, of course it's Downey. We got to play Metallica machine head starts playing battery live on Twitch as I'm sitting there. And as if that weren't amazing enough, uh, for the last half of the song, Rob changed all of the batteries to Ryan J. Downey. And uh, even recounting it right now in this intro is giving me goosebumps. Uh, Machine Head being one of my favorite bands, and certainly one of my favorite live bands, uh, but just, you know, put out some of the most important metal records ever to me and to the culture in general. Whether that's the more things change, burn my eyes, uh, the blackening, just, you know, constant bangers over the years uh they have a new ep out now in 2021 check that out but again yeah no effing regrets rob flynn's podcast you can find your friend ryan j downey on there you can also find me on twitter at ryan downey and on instagram at superhero hq so here it is the highlights of the speaking destroy not fest twitch takeover featuring returning champion his third time on speaking destroy bad wolf's guitarist doc coil this is speak and destroy. Ryan J. Downey with Knotfest, and this is a special Speak and Destroy takeover of what is normally the Knotfest Daily time slot and what is normally the show that I co-host, Trivia Trivia Legends. Almost mixed up my shows there. Uh, the wonderful, talented, awesome Miss Alicia Etoot is ill today, a.k.a. the interview queen, a.k.a. the snack that smiles back. She's feeling a little bit under the weather, um, but she should be all back and ready to go for Knotfest Daily tomorrow. She is an absolute trooper. I mean, she comes on here every day bringing news, bringing updates, talking about everything that's going on in extreme music culture, heavy rock, hip hop, movies, TV, all the stuff that we cover. She's on here every day, Knotfest Daily from 1 p.m. to 2 p.m. Pacific time. 
I myself am on here on Tuesdays from 2 to 4 Pacific time doing a show called Screen Crusades where we talk about movies and TV and the intersection with music. Uh, yesterday's guest was Monoxide from the Demented Duo Twisted. We talked about one of our uh, favorite shows, The Office, as well as a bunch of other tangents that we went off on as we do. I had Jamie Madrox from Twisted on a couple weeks ago talking about the Conjuring franchise. And um, yeah, it's a lot of fun. But what's happening today, as everybody's in here, yes, Seaspoon, the second dose got her. Well, actually, I'll talk about that in a second. Hi, Audrey. Hi, everybody. Maza. Um, <laughs> it, it's, it's just the glasses. Dave is correct. Um, Speak and Destroy is a podcast that I started in 2016, the first ever Metallica podcast. Uh, featuring interviews with folks who are directly related to the band, indirectly related to the band, influenced by them, have influenced them. I mean, they are the biggest, greatest uh, heavy metal band in the world. And everyone from every great band uh, cites them as an influence or has some kind of story to tell or, or something involved. So I thought it would be cool to turn that into the podcast format. I find myself talking about Metallica all the time anyway. This was an opportunity to do something semi-productive with it. Uh, since I started the first Metallica podcast in 2016, there's been like a half a dozen more that have popped up. Little Metallica podcast family. I uh, take a lot of pride in the one that I do because we've had some really great in-depth conversations, fun conversations with a lot of folks. So in talking with our team at NotFest today about uh, NotFest Daily... You know, the big metal rock news this week is this massive Black Album box set that Metallica announced, uh, as well as the accompanying tribute record, which is 50-plus artists covering songs from the Black Album. Elton John, Miley Cyrus, Dave Gahan from Depeche Mode, our own Corey Taylor, of course of Slipknot and Knotfest fame, just so much to talk about and so much love and care and, and dedication goes into these Metallica box sets. I've had, you know, since they started doing them, I have the Kill em All, the Ride the Lightning, Master of Puppets, and Justice for All. Uh, very much looking forward to adding the Black Album to my collection. And not only is it their most known album, their highest selling album, this seems to be an even bigger kitchen sink style uh, collection that they put together this time than uh, all of the others. So it seemed to make perfect sense to uh, the wonderful and talented Mr. Chris Hudson at NotFest that we do a Speak and Destroy takeover today since NotFest Daily would really be a whole bunch of Metallica talk, especially if I'm filling in for the interview queen, the snack that smiles back. Um, so that's what we're going to do. I'm going to be joined here in about 15 minutes by an old dear friend of mine, Mr. Doc Coyle of the band Bad Wolves, the platinum band Bad Wolves, who of course recently announced their new singer and that they're in the studio making a record, a follow-up to Nation, which was uh, quite successful for them. Songs like Sober, so on and so forth. Uh, Doc and I go back to the late 90s when he was in the band God Forbid. And um, he's just a great dude. Um, he, he's been on the podcast game for a long time with... Uh, X-Man podcast, which which began as a way for him to interview a great concept like people who used to be in bands 
uh, or used to do this or used to do that. And, and kind of, the, you know, people starting like a new chapter of their lives from the things that they were known for. Um, he's had great guests on that over the years. It's a pretty popular podcast in this thing of ours. And he is a massive Metallica fan. Not only is Doc a massive Metallica fan like myself, he also plays in the group The Wedding Band, which is a Kirk Hammett-led side project that's performed a handful of times. Uh, Rob Trujillo's in that also. Um, so, you know, he's got a little bit of that connection there. He's in the Metallica orbit. And he bears the distinction, I'm closing in on 100 episodes of Speak and Destroy. Doc is the only uh, two-time returning champion this will make if we're if we're counting this as a speaking of story episode which i think we should this will make him the first three-peat um so yeah first person to uh come on and talk about metallica with me not once not twice but three times and again there's so much to talk about with uh this black album box set was very very happy that the first episode i was able to actually launch the show with a very big guest, uh, my pal Matt, aka M Shadows of Avenged Sevenfold, was kind enough going over to his house uh, here in lovely Orange County, California. Uh, it was the first time he'd ever done a podcast, I believe. It was the first time I'd ever done one remotely, like just gone somewhere and tried to set my stuff up. L- luckily, he has a little mini uh, vocal studio at his place um, for demoing and stuff like that. So we set up in there and we just let it roll. And we talked about, uh, you know, Avenge, kind of the arc of their whole career. One of my favorite bands. Uh, he is, uh, I don't know what my, the ranking would be, but I would put M Shadows very high in the list of uh, all-time favorite hard rock vocalists. Like he's uh, he's up there in that list for me. Uh, certainly of uh, later generations, um, he might even be number one uh, as far as I'm concerned. But uh, yeah, and we talked about Metallica. They had a lot of Metallica stories. Obviously, Avenged is very influenced by Metallica, Guns N' Roses, a little bit of Pink Floyd. And like a lot of great bands, they're sort of the totality of those influences put through the prism of their own life experiences and who they are and other things that they like and what comes out is something that inspired but unique. And uh, I think that's kind of the template for how you... (laughs) how you incorporate influences into a band or a movie or a book or anything else, you know, much better than just going the copycat way and being a clone of something. Um, but rather kind of reverently paying tribute to your influences. And that actually segues very nicely into this box set because, you know, one of the great things about Metallica, and I think one of the reasons why they, they dominate these kind of conversations is because they have always been so open and, uh, generous about paying it forward with their influence you know the very first metallica show here in southern california the first time the band ever performed with james lars dave mustaine on lead guitar ron mcgovney on bass and i believe james wasn't even playing guitar live yet he was just singing uh they played more diamond head songs at that show than metallica songs and this is all stuff i want to i want to talk about with doc when he comes on too but uh, and Doc, uh, you know, Bad Wolves' most well-known successful single being their cover of the Cranberry Zombie. That's their platinum. I feel like it's got to be double platinum, at least platinum, um, which is um, an amazing feat for a rock band in this day and age. But yeah, that idea of wearing your influences on your sleeve, and and, and uh, in Metallica's case, 
you know, given the size of their band, when they cover your song, those publishing checks, you know, you can buy a house with those. You know, I know uh, Animal from Anti Nowhere League. He's somebody who I had on the podcast. Uh, they're famous for the band. So uh, for for the song, so what rather, which Metallica has covered for years and years. He was working in construction. Anti Nowhere League was was over, and he was you know doing a normal job. And when Metallica covered So What and brought him out on stage in the early 90s on the Black Album Tour uh, to sing So What with them, that resurrected the band. Anti-Nowhere League has been an active band ever since. Uh, And I can only imagine, you know, with the Merciful Fate medley, 12 minutes of Merciful Fate songs, you know, what kind of publishing checks those are for King Diamond and Hank Sherman. (laughs) Like that's, you know, it's life-changing money. But especially when you go all the way down to bands like Gosh, what's that band called? The Irish. There was an there's an Irish band. Uh, Metallica did like one song that was on an obscure seven inch. You know, a lot of the new wave of British heavy metal bands. Certainly, myself as a fan, and I think most of us fans discovered so much music via Metallica paying it forward and celebrating these bands. You know, whether it's Budgie, Diamond Head, uh, Tigers of Pang Tang, bands that they would even just talk about, uh, Saxon. Uh, you know, the Misfits and Danzig, which be remiss if I don't point out, today is the birthday of Mr. Glenn Anzalone, a.k.a. Glenn Danzig. He was born on this day in Danzig, and uh, I believe he is 66 years old today. Uh, it is also the birthday of one of my best friends in the entire world, Ryan Clark of the band Demon Hunter, who is celebrating his birthday with most of the rest of the band right now in Nashville, where they are in the studio uh working on a top secret uh but yeah it's, it's uh ryan clark from demon hunter's birthday and it is the birthday of the great glenn danzig and it is also the anniversary right here in june and july smack dab in the middle of the uh the leg of the metallica black album era tour that was metallica headlining of course danzig is main support and suicidal tendencies opening those shows were all happening this time this month this very day uh, in um, 1994. Uh, I actually got to see one of those shows, Buddy Drew Pierce, and it was an incredible show. In fact, I am looking right now. Yesterday in 1994, Metallica, Danzig, and Suicidal Tendencies were at the Pine Knob Theater in Detroit, Michigan. Uh, I also, one of my other... I can't really call it a side hustle because it doesn't really make me any money. It does have 27,000 followers. Um, but I have a account called This Day in Danzig, which is on Instagram, which I just put in the chat, uh, as well as Twitter and, and Facebook. But uh, basically, it's <laughs> it's Danzig history. This day in the history of Glenn Danzig, the Misfits, Sam Hain, and uh, all of the uh, related folks connected in the you know circling in the Danzig orbit. Uh, and it's a lot of fun. It's you know flyers, pictures. Backstage passes, memorabilia, artwork, liner notes, interviews, just anything dancing. Uh, I was inspired by this thing that I did with Crypt TV, brand run by the film director Eli Roth a few years ago called uh, This Forgotten Day in Fright, where we did a series of videos that was, you know, on this day in history, Elvira was born, or Vincent Price passed away, or... Uh, Edgar Allan Poe published this or, uh, and, and that sort of inspired me to, um, I did, I did an episode on Doyle. What if I just did a whole Danzig centric account? So that's what that is. 
And it's a perfect bit of serendipity that we're doing the Speaking Destroy Not Fest takeover today because it is Glenn Danzig's birthday. We're talking about the Black Album box set. And the Black Album tour was still going in 1994, years after the record came out, uh, with Danzig in support right during this very month in 1994. And that was a killer show that I saw. Uh, one thing I didn't get to see, which happened in Chicago, I think the last day of that tour, maybe, Danzig actually came out with Metallica and sang um, some Misfit songs. Uh, that did not happen in Indianapolis. Uh, where I grew up and where I saw the show. But it did happen in Chicago. And if you go to Metallica.com, where they have an amazing archive, I think better than any other band of photos. Set I mean, you can you can go to the Metallica site and, and look up Disposable Heroes and see how many times Disposable Heroes has been performed live by Metallica. When it was performed for the first time, when it was most recently performed, what cities, what days. I mean, they have every single show listed on their site with uh, oftentimes photos, flyers, newspaper clippings, assorted memorabilia. They've really been um, ahead of the game for a long time. On I also got to give a big shout out while talking about thorough websites to Megadeth. Megadeth was, I believe, I haven't seen anyone prove this wrong, and I've been saying it for years, including two members of Megadeth. I believe they were the first rock band of any, you know, established rock band of any kind of visibility, pop, anything to have a website, a www.com. They called it Megadeth, Arizona. And I remember sneaking into the all night computer lab of a college. I didn't attend because I didn't own a computer to go in and look at Megadeth.com for the first time. What is, what is a website? What is this thing? So they were way, way ahead and they've been very thorough on their site also. But uh, man, and I wish, you know, happy birthday Danzig, but I wish Danzig would let someone like me or some of my friends take over his website because it looks like it was made in 1994 when I saw that Metallica Danzig show. Uh, it's, it's no disrespect to the people in his camp. I know some of the people in his camp. I know his, his left-hand guy uh, who's awesome. And I wish they would bring in some kind of journalist with a historical eye to um, get all of that great Danzig memorabilia and, and something like what I do. And I wish he would let somebody, uh, you know, as we're talking about this Metallica box set, I wish he would let somebody do deluxe editions because uh, the Sam Hain stuff's all been out of print for um, years. And, you know, every gosh, I mean, the, the Danzig records, um, that were released with Rick Rubin. I mean, there's just a bu there's a bunch of Misfits, Danzig, and Sam Hain stuff in various states of disarray. That could really use uh, what's the word I'm looking for. I don't know. Just like a comprehensive tribute. Toomey saying the '94 tour he thinks was for Binge and Purge. I mean, technically, that's all Black Album album cycle, as far as I'm concerned. From the release of the Black Album, I mean, you know, you don't necessarily tour a live box set. It, I think all the way up until they kind of disappeared and then and then reemerge on the load reload era cycle was Black Album. Years and years and years of Black Album. Zoom, zoom, zoom. There he is. All the want to do is a zoom, 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 and a boom, boom. Uh, you know, I I did that especially for you because I knew that you would, uh, to quote the Captain America meme, I knew that you would understand that reference. 
That's right. Listen, I'm a, I'm a child of the 90s. You are indeed. And, and a fan of, of great songs of any genre. Yes, but there's something special in my heart when it comes to 90s R&B, all right? It's a indeed particular you know, snapshot in time. Yeah, it scratches a certain itch, one might say. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. '90s R&B and '90s '90s hip hop in that regard, dude. Look at the. Oh man! Every time that we do this, uh, any any kind of virtual hanging out with one another, I'm reminded and inspired and psyched by your rapid fire poster. You might be the only person with a rapid fire poster besides me. Um, yeah. I was talking about my my old dear friend Drew Pierce a minute ago, who I saw. Metallica with in 1994 with Danzig and Suicidal on the Shit Hits the Sheds tour, I think it was called. I don't know. It was the it was the tour. It was as Toomey pointed out in the chat. It was technically, I guess, for the Binge and Purge box, but really, I think of that as part of the extended, forever long Black Album tour. But I was talking about my buddy Drew Pierce because Drew Pierce and I were roommates right around that time that we saw that show, and in that apartment where we lived. There was a Brandon Lee rapid fire poster. And not only that, but it, do you remember when you could go to, I think Kinko's did it. You could go and, and have like your posters like mounted on this weird, like styrofoamy cork board kind of stuff. I know the board you're talking about. I wasn't aware that King, you could take a poster there to Kinko's and they do that for you. I believe that. I believe that's where I did it back then. And it, you know, it was definitely like the, the, the white trash version of framing a poster. <laughs> You know, because it was like not quite as nice as a frame, but but a step above just sticking thumbtacks in your poster on the wall. You know, I'm going to take a leap here. Frames overrated. And here's why. Because you get the glass, but then the glass reflects and then you it it diminishes the uh, the image. So I'm actually thinking about replacing all my glass and plastic mm. acrylic stuff that doesn't um reflect but you know anyway it's like poster nerd stuff i don't know if that's no and, and and you know what and 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 doing all this streaming stuff and zoom interviews and whatnot and all and all this stuff that's part of our lives now meetings you're much more aware of that right because you're seeing your own reflection in your screen and then you're seeing right now the posters behind you i mean it's at that but just just looking at them i want to see i want to see brandon lee you know i'm saying actually i almost forgot i got Double Brandon. You got Lee double Brandon Lee's. A minute ago, it was it was double Ryan Downey's in the Twitch stream, as Toomey pointed out. He said two Ryans, and I just saw two Brandons. Mm -hmm. uh, the Crow is my favorite movie of all time. You knew this. We've talked about this. I think um, Rapid Fire is up there. I, you know, I, I it, it obviously Die Hard is an action movie, but it's also kind of a drama, sort of. Because when I think about the action genre specifically, a action involves like fisticuffs, like hand-to-hand -hand combat. So where I'm going with this is depending on how we want to split up the subgenres, I could say that Rapid Fire is my favorite action movie. Wow. Um, although Die Hard's cool. like, you know. But dude, Rapid Fire is dope. I mean, Showdown of Little Tokyo, Dolph Lundgren and Brandon Lee. I love that movie. I have a soft spot for it. But I also recognize that it is not technically what uh cinephiles might call a good movie i'm gonna go ahead and say that brandon lee the late great powers booth rest in peace oh the, the, the rap the rapid fire is like legitimately a good film a little corny 
Uh, but for the action genre, for a karate movie, as some of my friends like to tease me about me liking, it's the cream of the crop. Like, it's an A+. plus. Yeah, I mean, like, listen, Powers Booth, he's kind of like uh, your poor man's Nick Nolte. But if you get him in your movie, you're doing all right. Uh, yeah. Nick Mancusa, the... Uh, oh, my God. He's the bad guy. Yeah. I mean, he deserves a fucking Oscar for that movie. He's turning it up to 11. He's like... Doing up the scenery. Uh, he does right. the Colin yeah. Quinn thing. Yeah. Anytime man does one money. We're shutting out. Sweating like a pig, Tony. <laughs> Powers booth. Why don't you take those fists of fury of yours outside? Yeah. Um I'm yeah. not thinking Powers Booth, you know, hit like this is what people don't realize is sometimes you can utilize your own natural kind of state of being in the drama and like so people like Powers Booth and also I think Bruce Willis did this. He was balding, but he's like an ornery, too old for this shit. Yeah, cop, makes yeah. him stressed out, and you know, so you just got to use what you use what you got. So, man, I don't remember the exact age. I'm sure I could look it up, but it will probably just depress me more. But at some point recently, last December, binged all of the Lethal Weapon movies for the first time in a while, and realized. You know, Danny Glover, right from the jump, saying, I'm getting too old for this shit, and he's about to retire. I think we're like his, his age now <laughs> that he was. Glover no. <laughs> in Lethal Weapon 1, I want to say, I think was 41 years That's old. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> That's when he was too old for this shit. It, yeah. you know, artificially aged him because you see him in Predator 2, which came out probably three or four years after Lethal Weapon 1, and he looks. He's ripped. He's jumping around. That's he looks true. ten years younger. He, he kind of screwed himself over by pretending to be an old man when he wasn't that old. That's true. You know, whereas, like, say, a Robert England was able to do Freddy forever and ever and ever because, as he says, he always played Freddy as old. Mm-hmm. So that so he was able to age with the character because he said that he always he always played him. As another, he was another one is the actor that plays Palpatine. Like, yeah, big time. He just seems like he's been one age for fifty yes. years. I don't know. <laughs> Ian McDermott, shout out. Um, yeah. yeah, I agree. Dave Ferret in the chat, the Lethal Weapon, certainly Lethal Weapon 1 is a Christmas movie. Um, absolutely. Gremlins is a Christmas movie. That's a whole other tangent. By the way, this is what happens when Doc and I get together. We're supposed to talk about Metallica. We can talk about movies uh, this whole time. We will talk about Metallica momentarily, but I just want to say one more thing about <laughs> Rapid Fire. It features... Uh, the great Al Long, uh, aka the henchman, John isn't isn't John probably. Um, this is one of those words that I've read a million times and haven't actually said out loud very often. Uh, but he's like he's a face that you see if you watch a lot of action movies of that era. He's in Die Hard. Um, yeah. you see he's yeah he's like the perennial henchman. Uh, Lib Tech Junkie, new follower. Thank you, Sarah Dope, new follower. Thank you, Crimson Jimmy, new follower. Bogart Hum, new follower. What up to the new followers? See, I'm doing this, twi- this Twitch thing. Good friend. Sarah Dope says she is very jealous that you were able to secure one of the Mondo Crow prints. Listen, I didn't secure it. I went on eBay and spent three dollars <laughs> You know, a, a little trick that I found, um, I don't know if I'm telling tales out of school. It's not even that much of a trick. I, I guess call it the investigative journalist in me. But I have a um, one of those... Jason Edmiston um, Rocky Four posters where it's the mountain of Dolph and Rocky's like climbing up 
the Ivan Drago mountain. It's like as if Rocky four was released in the Soviet union from the Soviet point of view. It's awesome. But that was a poster that I tried to get and couldn't. And I, and, and a trick that I figured out is a lot of the artists that do these Mondo set, you know, prints and whatever, like they have reserve a certain grip of these mm. for themselves. And so if you start poking around and go find the artist's individual website, they might have 20 or 30 of a print that's long sold out on Mondo in their store. And if they do not, you might even dig up a little Gmail address somewhere on their site and you might go, hey, if you just so happen. And that's how I ended up on those Rocky posters. I literally just did all that, like chased it down and chased it down. And I got like a test proof or something like that that he had out in the barn or something. Um, another thing is like with these custom action figures, I actually texted this to you. One of like four people I texted this to, cause I know you would appreciate it, but my custom, uh, Magnum PI action figure with these customs, you can do it legally. If you're only making one, yeah. that's how all these guys get away with it because it's like, well, this is an art piece. There's just one. I'm not, you know, that's how they get around the licensing issues and whatnot. But again, homeboy, uh, at lightning bolts, action figures, put up this Tom Selleck Magnum PI figure. And it was gone within like seconds, but it's just one. There's just one, just one ever. But I dropped the dude, a direct message on, on Instagram. And I was like, could you make a second one? Oh, he said, and he said, the FBI is going to be showing up right now. I'm saying, yeah, we're, (laughs) I'm I'm blowing up a spot right now. I'm saying these are little tricks and tricks and tools where you can, um, everybody's got to eat, man. You know? So these artists and everything that do these cool collectible things, there, there's not that many for all the volume of people that are going to the usual places and buying things the usual way. You got to think there's not that many of us who are doing the due diligence to track them down and then be like, Hey, what can we work out? Just you and me. I, I would never even think to do these things. So, you know, you're, you're three or four steps ahead of me. You are welcome. My friend, you are welcome. Uh, so yeah, first of all, uh, here, so here's what happened today. The lovely Alicia Atute, who is the interview queen. I call her the snack that smiles back. She hosts not fest daily here on the not fest Twitch channel every day from one to two EST. Her and I have a show together we do on Wednesdays called Trivia Legends, and I have a movie show, which you should also come on on Tuesdays where we talk about movies. Uh, But today, she's feeling under the weather, and um, I got at the last minute, like, can you come do NotFest Daily? And I was like, well, the only only news there is to talk about is this Black Album box set. That's like the news in metal for the week. And then uh, the wonderful Chris Hudson at NotFest then suggested to me, well, why don't you do like a Speak and Destroy Takeover. So if I'm doing a speaking to story takeover, I got to have the two-time champ, now triple-time champ, the only three-time, the only two-time and now three-time appearance on the speaking to story podcast, as I'm zeroing in on episode 100, is Doc Coyle. So does this count as speaking to story? I think so, because I think I, I think afterwards I might even chop this up into an episode of some sort. All right, there you go. Got to Got to reconfigure that. It's like a, it's a mashup, you know. It's like a, a feature. Is this not fest featuring speaking destroy? Is it speaking destroy featuring not fest? Is it not fest X speaking destroy? You know, as somebody who looks at those dumb charts every week, where everybody spells their name with weird punctuation and and capitalization, and there's different ways everybody's listing the feature or the collab. 
it's it's the wild west it's chaos you can do it however we want it's in the speak and destroy cinematic universe amen cheers to that cheers to that we can even say it's in the x-men podcast cinematic universe it's in the god it's in the god forbid burn it down cinematic universe I haven't asked one question yet, so I'm not going to put put my name on it. All right, I'm here. I'm going to let you do the heavy lifting. <laughs> indeed, indeed, agreed. A gentleman's agreement. So here's the here's the very first thing I want to hit you with as a discussion point with this Metallica news. So you know, I I know people in that camp. You know people in that camp. I was aware that there was a box set en route. It doesn't take a mathematician to figure that out because they've been doing one for every record, you know, since they got their masters back and they do these glorious, beautiful, gorgeous kitchen sink collector's box sets. You know, I've got Kill 'em All, I've got Ride the Lightning, I've got Puppets, I've got Injustice for All. I figured there was a Black Album one coming out this year. I asked around. I knew that there was one. With that being said, this tribute album with 50-plus artists doing Black Album songs you know, you play in a very successful band. You've played in established, successful bands prior to this one. You do your podcast. You're in this industry, in this business. How the hell did they keep this secret? It wasn't a secret to me. I knew it was. <laughs> ah, there it is. But that's also because I... How did I, they keep it a secret from me? <laughs> um, from well, the world. Well, I mean, look who's on it. It's not... For the most part, it's not uh, artists in our direct sphere. Mm, that's uh, a good point. A ghost or a Volbeat or, or something like that. And uh, but and, but keep in mind the what was it? Uh, Miley Cyrus stuff was public. That's yeah. true, but not that it was connected to this. The Miley Cyrus thing was that she was doing a loud Metallica. Stuff. I guess sometimes you know when you have inside information, you almost assume it's public knowledge. So right. I just knew this was coming. Right, uh, I, but what I didn't know, I presumed it was going to be one artist doing each song, and it was going to be twelve tracks. I had no idea it was going to be certain songs having. So five there you go. Yeah, versions. I mean it's fifty plus artists. So I have this theory about certain bands and certain albums that are near impossible to cover because it's like, how can you do it better? And I actually think the way they went with this is perfect because it seems like when you do a Metallica cover and it's a super metal artist mm -hmm. and maybe a more extreme artist, I feel like it almost never works. Right. So when some, I'll give an example, like uh kind they did uh master puppets. There was a tribute album that Kerrang or metal hammer did. I forget which one Kerrang or metal hammer did somebody in England. Yeah. And Chimera did Disposable Heroes, and it's a really good cover. They did a great job, but I think when a metal band does it, sonically, they tend to kind of stay in the lane that it was originally done. And then Mark Hunter, his vocals, he doesn't do the melody. He kind of screams it. Uh -huh. Me, when you do a Metallica song and the melody of the vocal is taken away, a lot of the song is lost, even though they killed it, even though it's a great cover, you know? Um, and... So I think when you're doing something like this as a metal song, it's almost impossible to do these songs better. Right. I think it's kind of cool that you're going to get alternative artists and country artists and 
just weird reinterpretations where you have to make it something so different that it just feels like you're not you're not making a comparative work you know and so i actually think it's going to be fundamentally that more interesting and some of these like royal blood doing sad but true that's exciting. Biffy mm-hmm. Clyro doing holier than now. I'm looking at the list right, right now. Dave, Dave Gahan from Depeche Mode. <laughs> like, yeah, what? Some of these artists I don't know, and I'm sure they're well known in alternative or kind of maybe the popular stuff. I'm I'm Addy. <laughs> I'm not the cool, cool guy. Oh no! One, oh, don't I'm, worry. There's some hipster stuff in there for sure. Where I was like, so uh, probably, the Neptunes, wherever I may roam. I mean, I don't know what the hell that's going to be. That yeah. just sounds. Cr- Crazy. I mean, Volbeat, of course, that's so. I've been waiting for for them to do any Metallica song forever. When I when I, when I saw when I saw the Neptunes on there, it reminded me of the uh, the ill fated um, MTV Icon Metallica show from two thousand three. It seemed like that's. It seems like that the Neptunes should have been there instead of now. But uh, but it'll be interesting to check out. But live, I feel like it's more likely to go the other way because I think if you're doing it live like that. I want the most, I want great artists up there doing the best accurate representation of it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That, yes. Like, when they, like that Led Zeppelin, when Hart did uh, the honors, the Kennedy honors, and they did mm-hmm. Evan. I mean, it's Led Zeppelin couldn't play it that well. You know, I want the best representation in a live setting like that. But this, I think they have their art- artistic freedom. And by the way, Rodrigo and Gabriel doing struggle within that's i already know that's going to be amazing and uh, and, and trujillo's played with them before right like they're yeah. they're homies i feel like there was some other some track that they did together years they're ago. just brilliant i mean that's one of those art those uh acts you can just put on any track and you're like this is amazing so i'm actually I, and I, I do think the cover album part of it is probably the most compelling thing because you're getting something that's completely new uh completely left field and there's mm-hmm. a lot of it <laughs> it's a lot of it and it's all, and you get to hear a lot of different takes on the same songs i mean I, I mean you know obviously weezer doing inner sandman and ghost doing inner sandman couldn't be any more different <laughs> you know well you kind of but you know it's funny you can kind of hear you it in your head hear. yeah before you even even get to it and yeah, yeah it's like a rorschach test to some degree yeah, and I, you know, and I'm I'm with you because it brings up the whole thing of of cover songs. That I find myself having conversations about where, you know, do you want when an artist covers something, any genre, do you want an absolutely faithful sound like rendition, or do you want like a you know perfect circle cover album where it's deconstructions of these songs? Personally, I, I appreciate both. And I think when we're talking about 50 plus artists, the deconstructionist vibes will be interesting. But personally, what I like in a cover, and Metallica really sets the blueprint for this, is when it's faithful and reverent to the original, but all, but has like a signature stamp of the artist who's covering it. Because in my mind, if it's a exact sound alike, it's like, what's the point? And if it's a total deconstruction, it's like, well, this is an interesting curiosity, but I'm not going to listen to it twice. Whereas when I listen to the Merciful Fate medley, when I listen to, uh, I mean, even Tuesday's Gone, Whiskey in the Jar, those are those are songs where I love the originals, and I love the Metallica versions because it sounds like Metallica doing those songs. Doesn't sound like exactly like those songs, but it also isn't like look at this crazy way we took it apart. 
Um, but yeah, you make a really great point about when it's a straight metal artist, especially when it's a more extreme artist. Um, you know, I, I had uh, Dino from Fear Factory. He was, I know he's a mutual pal of ours. I had him on Speaking of Story recently, and he was talking about getting into the the weeds, like the real specifics of Hetfield's right hand, the palm mutes, the attack, like just all these really specific things that he does that makes Metallica songs sound a certain way. And you can have the heaviest, gnarliest, tightest rhythm guitar player who still just isn't going to sound like James Hetfield. So if you're just trying to do this straight on, like you were saying, kind of extreme metal version, never mind the, the vocals and all of that. Yeah, I, I think that those those kind of fail to excite um, for that reason you pointed out. I hadn't really thought about it that way, but I think well, I think as long as it's a disciple of Hetfield and Metallica, so when Trivium does a Metallica song, they understand the DNA. When Machine Head does a Metallica cover, they understand the DNA. When Chimera does it, uh, we understand we're the types of artists. And I'm putting myself in this boat because I've covered Metallica songs where I've, I've seen bands where they didn't understand the minutia mm-hmm. of the playing and the technique and that, oh, you can play the riff, but if you're not playing it properly, if you're not kind of understand, you know, if the drummer's playing too fast, if they don't really understand kind of Lars's swing, mm-hmm. right? Uh, if yeah, if there, there's certain things like, you know, I, I get I get real nitpicky with it. I remember Breaking Benjamin was doing Sad But True in this medley. Yeah. They were on the ba 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 ba. They weren't chunking with the snares. Oh. They were just letting the snare go ba ba. And I'm like, guys, you got to go. Like, that's the power. And they probably were like, hey, Doc, uh, we didn't really ask you for a suggestion on <laughs> gallery, but I get really nitpicky with 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 this stuff. Or like, no uh, and by the way, so the other band I was that I was mentioned that I feel like bands should stay away from covering is usually the Black Album, usually Metallica, but also Pantera, because especially if you're a metal band, it's just hard to do it better. So then what's the point? And every now and again, like uh, there's one that's great, like on earth did sandblasted skin and it Uh, kind of throw down doing, uh, what did throw down do becoming? I don't know. I'm getting confused because they did a new level live. Um, I don't, I don't know. Um, But so to go, to kind of rewind a little bit about my philosophy with cover is so in my opinion, Metallica is the best cover band of all time. Mm from a recorded sense, because what they did was, so I think you can do a faithful cover, but the song has to be old enough and or obscure enough that when you play it, people don't have an association with the original. So the problem is when you do a faithful cover is when the song is so popular that people automatically are just thinking about the original, then there's there's what's the point. But when Metallica was so smart, at doing through the years was picking bands that were obscure enough, or at least when you have something like Merciful Fate, where it's like, it's of a certain generation, where you take someone like me or someone younger than me, they don't have Merciful Fate, Fate's uh, catalog and it's new to them. So yeah. I think there's that element of picking something that's just left field or below the radar. But if you're gonna go out there and cover Hotel California, 
<laughs> right? You're going to go out there and cover Bohemian's Rhapsody. You kind of got to do it completely different or, or else why did you do it? Because it's so present in the zeitgeist currently. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, yeah, I would say the closest that Metallica even got to those ubiquitous songs was Stone Cold Crazy and Turn the Page. But even those, if you didn't grow up with like a classic rock station, <laughs> then you probably don't know those because it's not still not Bohemian Rhapsody. But here's, but here's what Metallica does is they always just, they take the song and they just play it like Metallica. And James sings how yes. he sings, so it always sounds like a Metallica song. Yeah. And that's kind of their secret power is... Maybe a lot of bands don't have enough of a definitive sound that when they cover something, it just is feels too reverential, or they do it kind of faithfully and do it how they do it. But the other, the original is just has more magic. So yeah. it's listen, it, it's tough. And I, you know, God forbid, did a few covers, and some of them are okay, and some of them are probably less than whatever, <laughs> and some are better than the others but it's kind of a it's kind of a, a mixed bag um you know with bad wolves you know being getting our start with a cover i was gonna say has bad wolves ever done a cover <laughs> yeah and but by the way which I, some some the genesis of which i had really nothing to do with sure uh it was kind of the perfect amount of time and it was reinterpreted yeah. in a way that it was reintroduced to a whole other audience totally agree with that and there's probably a generation of people that know that version, the Bad Wolves version of the song, more than the original. Absolutely. Right? Or, so, or, or even just discovered the original via the Bad Wolves version. Yeah. I know, sure. like another example of that, I'd say, is probably like uh, Five Finger Death Punch doing uh, Bad Company. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I almost associate that more with Five Finger Death Punch than I do with Bad Company. Right. And, and I listen to a lot of classic rock radio and stuff like that, but they made it their own. They made it. And it's like you can kind of appreciate the different versions, right? So there's a, then there's a uh, there's actually a book written about the song Hallelujah, which was originally written by Leonard Cohen. Yeah, uh, and do, it doesn't mean what we think it means, but then takes on all these other meanings depending on who's doing it. <laughs> well, yeah, but but the the whole thing about the book is that so Jeff Buckley made the song famous, but Absolutely. Jeff Buckley was actually covering another cover of it like he was doing an interpretation that he had heard and then now everyone kind of does the jeff buckley version but the the whole book is about how people keep covering this song and reinterpreting and it kind of and it's just the idea of covers man or even like you know tennessee whiskey like that's an old song like people like i like all these things that we we assume we associate with a particular artist oftentimes are covers Whiskey in the jar, right? We think, oh, yep. the thin Lizzy, but it yep. was a folk song, an old standard. Yeah, yeah. So, well, well and you know, and you know, Hallelujah, most recently covered by Zack Snyder. I mean, Zack Snyder did such a great job with his version of Hallelujah. Um, what are you talking about? I'm just, I'm trying to make a, a movie joke. Those, all those Justice League trailers that had that weird spacey version of Hallelujah in it because it's very I, serious. See, I didn't even remember that. See, yeah. Well, tell you know, I need to tell Zack Snyder, who committed the ultimate sin of having the greatest song in a trailer to not feature in his movie to do the most hack thing, which is that he had the Smashing Pumpkins remix, beginning of the end is the beginning, in the Watchmen trailer, only uh -huh. over the same scene 
to play Sound of Silence, which is the most played out song ever in movies besides uh, Gimme Shelter or uh, uh, was not Running With The Devil, but uh, Sympathy For The Devil. Besides those two songs, the most yeah. played out songs where it's like, dude, you had it. Just go with that. And the, the thing is, and that song, the Smashing Pumpkins song, was actually on another soundtrack, the Batman Forever EP. I don't think in, it was the, even in the fun. DC universe. Yeah, dude. That song is on. Uh, and I got I got a special place in my heart for Batman Forever. And this and there's here's a weird synchronicity too where this all overlaps. You know, I mean, I can't really. It's between, between you and your shrink. But. I'm, I'm, <laughs> if, my, if my shrink is Nicole Kidman's shrink from that movie, I'll take it. <laughs> Um, <laughs> she was a shrink in that movie. There's a whole release the Schumacher cut thing that's been popping off now because supposedly there's some darker cut of Batman Forever that exists. More, more nipples on suits. More, like, there, there's a giant bat in it. There's some kind of like thing where Val Kilmer walks into has like a hallucination that involves like this. It's a it's a whole thing. That's a whole other convo. Um, but yeah, and I gotta say, you mentioned Machine Head as being one of the bands that's covered Metallica and covered Metallica well. I had a very lovely surprise um, on Twitch a couple weeks ago. Popped on and was checking out Rob Flynn's uh, Machine Head Happy Hour thing that he does here on Twitch. And um, they were jamming and playing Machine Head songs. And he saw that I was in the chat. And he was like, Ryan J. Downey's here. What do we? Let's play something for, for Downey. We've we got to play Metallica. And they played Battery. And it was awesome. And he changed all of the battle rays to Ryan J. Downey. <laughs> and it was awesome. That is a moment that I, I'm, gives me goosebumps now. I never thought I would see Rob Flynn singing Battery and making the chorus about me. But it happened. It was spontaneous and impromptu. By the way, um, they also covered Iron Maiden. Um, oh, How Would Be Thy Name. And also one of the kind of bands you probably shouldn't cover. Yes. But they did it. But they did it really well because they made it sound like Machine Head. So yeah, and I and I'm with you. In fact, um, the drummer for Burn It Down, Bob Fouts, rest in peace. Uh, he was always pushing for Burn It Down to cover Iron Maiden, and I was like, I, who are you getting in here to sing that? <laughs> because uh, I, you know, I, that's not my range. It's not my register, and I don't want to metalcore scream Iron Maiden. But the exact was- thing like you were talking about. He didn't care. He just wanted to fucking just groove on that hi hat and get his Nico <laughs> McBrain on, you know. Exactly. He wanted to get it. He wanted to get his McBrain on. And, very, uh, selfish very selfish. And exactly. And that's exactly how I felt too. I was like, that's very selfish. Um, but yeah, there's there, those kind of those are bands that you don't cover in that way, and then you especially don't do the bark, 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 bark the whole way um, with those kind of vocals because we know those songs. We know what it's supposed to sound like. It's just yeah, gonna sound they, somebody like they somebody, in your you know. lane. See, when God forbid came out. See, by the way, actually, God forbid was a band that actually kind of made its name with the cover right in the early days because we were we covered at the gates. Oh, right. <laughs> very, you know, talk about early. a zeitgeist moment. You got as you were one of the pioneering bands of the new wave of American heavy metal. The fact that you covered the signature band of the new wave of Swedish death metal. But no, amazing. we did it much in the way that Metallica covered. Uh, new album bands is that it was obscure enough yeah. that some people probably didn't know it wasn't our song and it but it was also a wink and a nod enough to the people that did know it gave us kind of this immediate credibility because especially back then playing hardcore shows 
people understood that our technical ability had to be pretty high to effectively pull off those songs well yeah. and do kind of, uh, it, you know, do it properly. So it was, so it's, it's something that's kind of, I guess, now that I look at it, kind of been a through line through, through my career. So that's interesting because it is such an essential part of Metallica's DNA. I mean, all the way back to, I was talking about this just before I brought you on, but all the way back to the very first Metallica show here in Southern California, you know, Hetfield not even playing rhythm guitar yet, just singing. Dave Mustaine on guitar, Ron McGovney on bass, Lars on drums. They did more Diamond Head songs at that first show than they did Metallica songs. <laughs> and, but nobody knew because it wasn't like, you know, oh, that's that Diamond Head song. Like it just, you know, that exact same kind of uh, magic trick that you were talking about that God forbid did. And I, I you know, it's been such a huge part of Metallica. They are the greatest cover band. And part of that is because they are also, you know, the greatest band, you know, they've, they've more than proven themselves with every song that isn't a cover. They can get away with doing as many covers as they want, you know, ad infinium. And that that's another one. Like you said, Iron Maiden is a band that really, really shouldn't be touched by most. And Machine Head did a great job and Metallica did a great job. When they did that, um, I think it was Kerrang did an Iron Maiden tribute, like in recent years, like kind of hardwired era, and um, they did Maiden. Was on a medley. The, well, there was the I don't know if I'm mixing it up with the there was the Ronnie Rising medley, um, that was kind of around the same time. But I want to say the Metallica Maiden song. I'm going to look it up. I think it was Remember Tomorrow. Yeah. How have I not heard this? I, yeah, I, I Remember Tomorrow. Yeah, it, it was. I think it's on the. Uh, the deluxe, it was on a Kerrang tribute originally, but I think on the um, deluxe edition of Hardwired, I think it, I think it's one of the, the bonus tracks. Um, actually, this is reminding me, because I don't think I ever checked out that whole tribute. I want to look at the track list. Well, okay, wow. Um, Black Tide was on there. Yeah, dude, I haven't even heard a lot of these. I'm very familiar with Remember Tomorrow, but this tribute has Black Tide, Avenge, doing Flash of the Blade, uh, Coheed and Cambria, Devil Driver, Dream Theater, uh, Machine Heads, Hollow Be Thy Name is on there, Trivium, doing the song Iron Maiden. I gotta go listen to a bunch of these because uh, some of those are probably pretty cool. I'd love to hear Avenge try to, trying to do Maiden. Yeah, it's that, probably see, awesome. See, now, Avenged, I would f think it'd be the perfect band to do a Maiden yes. song. because. Make it sound like a vendor sevenfold. Yeah, and they've got all the noodly melodic yeah. stuff, and Matt has oh, uh, you know, noodly. and one of, and one of probably my of of the. I know it sounds funny to some people watching this, or you know, if you're twenty, if you're in your twenties right now, for me to refer to Avenged as a newer band, but of like the later generations of metal bands of whatever era we put Avenged in, Matt's probably my favorite singer. Just his range and his personality and his, you know, identify like and the way that he takes like an Axel and a Hetfield and a Roger Waters and his influences and and kind of merges them into his doing his own thing with all of that. Um, Amazing. Great, I mean, yeah. he's one of a kind. I like he's one of the people that what he can do, basically no one else can do. Like I put Axel in that category too. Like people kind of give Axel crap. Like oh, Axel had a bad show or Axel. Do this, I'm like, but literally, there's not one human on being that could step in 
and probably do it. No. I mean, even, you know, Miles Kennedy, where you brought up Jeff Buckley earlier. I think Miles Kennedy is like our modern Buckley. And even when he sings the Guns N' Roses stuff, he sounds amazing, but it's different. You know, yeah. it's just it's a whole different not, voice. He doesn't do the grit. And no. that's, that's, yeah. Are there singers that can do the range? Yeah. But do they have the sound? It's like, imagine hearing an ACDC song sing completely clean. Right. So oh, great. dude. And when Axel did ACDC and he brought, he brought it to, like, he, you could tell he was just like living his dream and that he put in the work. And that, I think that shocked a lot of people how well he handled the ACDC stuff. And it was, he had, he has that grit. Who else can do it? Nobody. There's, there's nobody else that they could have gotten. Yeah. In, yes. in the chat, uh, Nickelsack Jack says Axel has that rasp. That's right. That's that rasp, that sandpaper. I mean, that's sandpaper. Um, and that's the thing. Like, yeah, when people talk about like, oh, Axel had a bad show. Yeah, but when Axel has a good show. <laughs> like, one good Axel show is going to make up for ten bad ones. I saw Guns N' Roses probably four or five times on that reunion run. And the last time I saw them was the best. I was in Vegas. Uh, it was like, uh, I think, November 1st, 2019. And they were just, absolutely. I mean, it's at the end of the cycle, so they've been playing a lot and just, yeah. dude, just functioning all cylinders. And not only was he hitting everything, you can tell when he's singing well, he's having more fun. He's like yeah. a better performer. Yeah. He's kind of just, you know, it's like a, a basketball player that's like in the zone, right? They're kind of, uh -huh. they're gloating a little bit more. They're, you know, they're kind of in there. It was unbelievable. It, and I saw him at other shows be not quite, as good i don't think he was ever bad but every time i saw him he was a little better uh yeah so. and you know you know what's crazy is um well i i by the way saw them twice on that run and he was great both times i saw them at one of the coachella weekends there was the troubadour warm-up show i think a vegas show maybe and then there was the two coachella weekends i saw one of those um and it was awesome too because like i, I went to coachella didn't go any other day. I just went the Guns N' Roses day. I got there right before Ice Cube. Got a good spot in the crowd. And I wasn't trying to be like stage potato, backstage pass or whatever. I was like, I wanted to be in the crowd. Got a good spot. Cube had, you know, he brought out The Game, who's one of my favorite rappers of all time. Um, he had all these Dr. guests. Cube, huh, what's up? Dr. Dre and Snoop, right? Yes, he brought out, yeah. It, it, they had like a little mini NWA thing. It was amazing. And then... It wasn't that people left, but you know how like when artists change at a festival like that, it's like people go, people go out and then more people come in and whatever. In that transition, I was able to even move up even further. I was by myself. Watched this blistering like three-hour Guns N' Roses set. Got back in my car and went home. <laughs> I, worked, I, I worked Coachella. I was, I was bartending. I remember. I saw you and there. So I saw both sets, but not, not the whole set. I was still working, so I probably got to catch like maybe forty five minutes of each set. But yeah, uh, that I worked Coachella four or five years in a row, and that was the most packed it ever was. Was for Guns mm. N' Roses. I mean, mm. all the way back to I worked the VIP but all the way back. I mean, it was nuts, and people, and even young people, just one of the. It was just that was a moment that people like you just had to be there had for to go like, this is history. I did not watch a single other band other than other than Ice Cube and, and GNR all of Coachella that whole weekend. 
I just came by myself, walked right up, watched Ice Cube, watched Guns N' Roses, went home. And then I saw them again way later in the tour with uh, our buddy James Hart from 18 Visions. Um, we, we saw them in San Diego. And uh, we had like nosebleeds. You know, our seats were the worst of the worst. And it was still was a great show. show. You were at that San Diego show also? Yeah, because they booked it right at the beginning. Mm-hmm. So I bought tickets right away. And then they waited till after Coachella to book their LA dates. And ah, tickets. So that must, so just, that's probably what James did too, because I remember James had gotten uh, two tickets like super early, and yeah, and he hit me up because he knows I'm. Yeah, sure, we, we, we just had bed. like a road trip. We we like we got a hotel. It was like a you know, it was a whole thing. It was fun. We should have all gone together if only we knew. Um. Well, this is a nice overlap as we're talking about all this because obviously there's a lot of Guns N' Roses Metallica overlap in that Black Album era, Use Your Illusion era, that legendary tour. You know, they wanted Nirvana to open. Nirvana said no. They took Faith No More. Of course, we know the riot, all that stuff with the tour. But here's why I think it's super interesting because we're talking about these 50 plus artists covering Metallica. We're talking about Metallica as the ultimate cover band. Something I realized after that Coachella set in particular. Guns N' Roses really only has how many albums, right? Because it's it's the original three records and Chinese Democracy and whatever they're going to do on there. And Usually Illusion 1 and 2 is kind of one album, like Load and Reload. And yep. then there's the cover album. Yep. So w- when they play, they go for it, which I appreciate. They give you a two-and-a-half-hour, three-hour set, which rules. But when you look at the set list, and I just pulled up a set list from march 2020 so right before the pandemic in mexico city they did 23 songs of those 23 songs live and let die is a cover they did the velvet revolver song which is technically a cover um knocking on heaven's door which is a bob dylan song uh they do the theme from the godfather the equalizer um i think the coachella show maybe you know they do um they were doing Black Hole Sun for a minute as well. Yeah, and they and they 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 were also doing um New Rose, I think, and Attitude, like some of those ones that Duff sings, like the Misfit song and Johnny Thunder stuff. Yeah, like what, a third of their two and a half hour, three hour set are cover songs. But I you don't think when when Guns N' Roses is in front of you playing knocking on heaven's door, you're not thinking to yourself, oh, a cover. You're like this is Guns N' Roses playing "Knocking on Heaven's Door," even though it's a cover song. They also do a uh, uh, "Wish You Were Here." Yes, uh, that's right. Thing kind of intro thing. Listen, I think I'm not knocking it. By the way, I love no, it. It's just interesting. Well, no, but no, I want to contextualize it, and I I think it's in the roots of blues-based rock and roll. Is that it's it. it in many ways, it was like the idea of standards and the idea whether you're talking mm. about, I mean, Led Zeppelin. I mean, they were literally, you know, they got in all these lawsuits because their songs were like cover songs. They just didn't attribute. Yeah. I think it was just common for bands to go out there. The Beatles started as a cover band. Van Halen started as a cover band. Uh, you know, the was you know, You Really Got Me. It's like the third track on Van Halen 1. I mean, yeah. Yeah. two covers on Van Halen 2. I mean, it was... I just think that was part of it, like being a band and playing covers and putting them on a show and entertaining people 
And part of that was like, here's a song you know. Here's uh, and bands wearing that influence on their sleeve and, be, and that being a part of the thing is just, I think, part of the rock and roll culture mm. that uh, maybe in, in, in recent years, and when I say recent, I mean the last you know, 10, 15 years, it's become more of like people maybe looking down on a little bit or, or the idea right. that uh, it's a gimmick or that it's a commercialized kind of, hey, here's this thing we'll do to get attention. or uh, So maybe people look down on it a little bit. But to me, covers is like, I, I look at being a musician as this like blue collar thing. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, and, and that a lot of people like look down on cover bands and, and but to me, it's about craft, right? So if I go out there and I see a great cover band, I'm like, these are great musicians who prepared, who put, take a lot of pride in their work to make something sound great, sound great sure. together. And so I, I think it's just part of that history and that lineage and something that I personally love, you know, like I've, I've been working on a lot of cover songs. I love it. That's a great point. That's a great point. And I love how interactive you've been with your own audience and the stuff that you're sharing and the stuff that I know you have in the pipeline in that regard. Somewhat related to that, how do you feel about this whole Twitch thing? No, I'm fascinated by the whole Twitch thing because I'm, I just wonder, I'm like, who's watching all these Twitch? Because I know so many people have so many massive audiences. And I'm like, I just, I, I don't know if it's a, generational thing or where it's like that's how people are consuming particular entertainment or kind of connecting to individuals and it's something because uh bad wolf started a patreon and we were do we started doing streams through crowdcast and over the course of time started making uh you know making the streams more elaborate we all got like ecam and started like just you know, do you know, actually taking it really seriously, and actually started to enjoy it. And I was like, oh, maybe I should get on Twitch and figure out a thing. But it seems like the people that do it and do it well and take it seriously have a regimented schedule. And I and I almost feel like I need to consume some of it and see what people do to understand what, uh, you know, because I don't know I have this inherent idea that why would anyone watch? <laughs> hang out with me for hours on end, right? I mean, which sounds yeah. weird, but I have a podcast that literally thousands and thousands of people listen to every week. That's two hours plus. Right, <laughs> so, true, true, true. They're already hanging with me, but uh podcast is such a, you know, you take it in your car, you take it to the gym. It's something that can kind of exist while you're doing other things. Yes, so. yes. And I think that's a big part of it. Whereas this is, I mean, yeah, I don't know if people are leaving streams on in the background, I think it's a generational thing to some extent, but you know, when Twitter was new, I was like an early adapter, right? Like I got on Twitter in 2007, which was like right after it came out of beta. And, um, I like that platform. Obviously there's a lot of, uh, evil that has come out of it like anything, but it's a, it's a platform. And by and large, I'm, I'm a fan of it. Uh, YouTube, you know, when that popped off in 2005, I'm all about it. There, there's various things that have come and gone that, just haven't clicked with me. Um, you know, Clubhouse, I don't care about it. Vero, I don't care about it. Snapchat, never cared about it. TikTok, I signed up for a TikTok profile when that started becoming the thing. I've never posted a single thing on TikTok. I forget that I have it 99% of the time. 
And every once in a while, when somebody's like, look at this TikTok thing, then I'll remember like, oh yeah, I have that. I, sh- I guess I'll open it up to look at that. And this to me has been another one of those things. I remember actually, I mean, it was probably five or six years ago. It was a while back. It was actually my buddy, Josh Bernstein, who told me about Twitch. And it just so happened he had a friend who worked there. And uh, Jody Dankberg, who's been on Speak and Destroy uh, from Stern Pinball, he told me a bit about it. Uh, and, and it was all gaming. You know, there was no music components. Well, that's, still the biggest, that's still the biggest subgenre there is is gaming, right? That's where the most the biggest streamers and the most amount of traffic, right? Yeah, yes. Although, with that being said... I just read an article a few days ago about a couple of uh, big popular streamers who's um, who had been banned by Twitch because now they're starting to like every platform, you know, people will figure out how to make porn part of it. And um, Twitch is trying to figure out like how to deal with things of an adult nature and what crosses that line into an adult nature and this and that. And so I was reading this article and there was, it mentioned like these couple of popular people that had been banned for a couple of days and were just back on. So curiosity killing the cat. I was like, so are these gamers? Like who, like, you know, who are these personalities? And I went and, and watched like 10 minutes of this girl's show the other night. And she had just, you know, legions of, of followers. The chat's going so fast that you could not read it. Like I, I literally couldn't read two words that anyone's saying, cause it's going so fast and she wasn't doing anything. But the 10 minutes I watched, she was reading through a list of people that she had banned and reading their appeals where they were asking to be unbanned. So it was like, oh, Doc Coyle said, you're ugly a year ago and I banned him. And now he's written me this nice message saying he's really sorry. Should I let him back in? That's all she was doing. And people were just throwing money at her. Because the way you get attention from those kind of streamers is... Donations. By subscribing and giving away subscriptions, and then you get that 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 uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, like you get from working out or gambling, you get that oh. dopamine hit from this person looking at the camera and going like, "Oh, Doc with the five subs, thank you so much, Doc Coyle, you're the best." And that's it for me coming from broadcast TV background, you know, MTV, MSNBC, and, and stuff I did a, a lifetime ago, where you know we're gonna bring this whole MTV news crew to uh, god forbids sound check and we're going to film your sound check and we're going to set up these nice fancy looking interviews and have all these people there and i'm going to sit down and i'm going to do 20 minutes with each guy in the band and that's going to get cut down into a 60 second news hit that's going to air once on mtv2 during headbangers ball at one in the morning on a saturday I love this as someone who likes these long form conversations, podcasts and whatever. I love all this new space that we have to just kind of hang out. But I also like that old broadcast TV brain of mine. I like something like what NotFest is doing where we are trying to strike a balance between that freeform conversation and a little bit of structure with themed programming and stuff like that. 